Good morning, good afternoon, or even good evening. My name is Chris Atkins, and this is The Secrets of the Dressing Cupboard Podcast, a podcast focusing on the lighter side of live entertainment. Picture the scene. You're slightly drunk at the work's Christmas party. The DJ has been on and suddenly the lights go down. Onto the stage strolls a figure who then proceeds to start singing, or perhaps playing an instrument or both, or even doing magic tricks. Well, that's us, the acts that inhabit the grey area between arena-filling musicians and Jeff, who sings for the old folks for a couple of pints on a weekend. So, in this podcast, I hope to introduce to you some of my friends within the light entertainment industry. We'll be telling tales of horror and joy, explaining some of the quirks and some of the interesting things that happen in our business, because, as it has often been said, it is a funny old business. I plan to have these podcasts monthly, and the running time will be about 30 minutes, give or take, But this first one will be a bit shorter, as it is an introduction to the podcast, and today I will be interviewing myself. So, to tell you a little bit about myself, I'm called Chris, and I am a trained vocalist and actor. I primarily do vocal work these days, as my acting skills are pretty rudimentary at best. So, on to the question... I'm going to pretend to be surprised to hear these questions, even though I wrote them myself. In your own words, describe your show. Well, I currently run five shows. I have the basic cabaret show for the club circuit, which is skewed with slightly older material. I have a really old show for the budget holiday tour crowd. I have a pub set which has slightly more contemporary material, but more high-energy feel to it. Two tribute shows. One of them is an 80s tribute show, full of stuff like Simple Minds and that. And I also have a Scar show. Bad Manners, Madness, et al. Question two. How did you end up on the circuit? Well, I ended up on the light entertainment circuit for the same reason quite a lot of other acts do. I have no other discernible skills. When I was a lot younger, I was involved in a couple of youth theatre groups. I didn't really have a lot of interest in it, in fairness, but there was a girl I fancied doing it, so I went along as well. This was back in Norfolk, by the way, hence the touch of farmer in my accent. I did a few shows with these theatre groups, And during my time at school, I thought I'd take drama at GCSE as it would be a fairly easy subject. When it came to choosing things for college, I didn't know what to do. Nothing really interested me. So yet again, I followed a girl into a BTEC diploma in performing arts. This involved all aspects of performing and stagecraft. And I finally discovered that I had a flair for theatre lighting and the more technical aspects of theatre work. The only problem I faced was being one of only four boys on the course and the only one who had any sort of basic singing ability. I was asked to be on stage for the shows rather than running the sound or lights as I would have preferred. Anyway, 
At this time, I was 18 and my parents went through a fairly messy divorce and I was left with a bit of a dilemma. I didn't want to move to the Midlands when mum went there and I didn't really want to live with dad either. I was 18 and I was prepared to move out. I wanted to leave home at that point. Having no money or credit, I was a bit stuck. And then I heard about some auditions at a holiday camp about five miles up the road from where I was living at the time. The job was to be part of an entertainment team and the position was live-in and it did include food. So I got the audition and during the audition I was asked if I had any technical skills as they already had a male vocalist on the team and they really needed someone to run the mixing desk and the lighting cues during the team shows. I got the job and moved out of my parents house which they then promptly sold. I was really enjoying the technical challenges of the job. I even enjoyed running the background music for the ballroom dancers etc. That all changed, however, when Gavin, who was the male vocalist on the team at the time, got sacked. He slept with a kitchen porter, caught a little bit of an infectious disease, scabies, and then he passed it on to his girlfriend at the time. This uh, caused a massive row in the ballroom when it all came to head, and it happened in front of guests, so Gavin was promptly sacked. His girlfriend also left at that point. This left the team without a male vocalist for the shows. So I was asked if I had any kind of singing ability. I had to reply, obviously, truthfully, that I could sing a little bit, had some lessons when I was younger, and they said that I had to take Gavin's place in the shows. They'd ask one of the other team members to run the sound, as, I quote, well, it's an easy enough job. Unfortunately for me, but... Probably good news for the entertainment manager, it turned out that I was a better vocalist than Scabby Gavin, so I had to then be the primary vocalist from then on. Fast forward four years. I'm getting bored with the job. I'm in my twenties at this point, and I've managed to climb the ladder all the way to assistant ENTS manager. I had my own little team, but I was quite dissatisfied with the long hours and all of the infighting. The camp closed for a few months every year, and I was made homeless, basically. And without a long-term girlfriend or anywhere to live, I decided to stay with Dad up in Hartlepool. One Saturday, me and the old man went up to the local working men's club on the headland. We had a few pints, and then after the bingo, ugh, bingo, they brought on a male vocalist. I couldn't believe how bad he was. But never mind, that was neither here nor there, and after the show, when he was packing down, I wandered over to him and I started asking him about the gigs and the job in general. I discovered he was getting paid 90 quid for the show that he just did. I was gobsmacked. I was making, at that point on the camp, £120 a week. He then told me he got about three gigs a week as well. So at this point, I hatched a plan. I went to see loads of club acts on the northeast circuit. I took notes on what they did, what gear they were using, etc. I then entered myself into a local talent competition. There was a £500 first prize, and luckily I won. And I used that money to buy my first PA system. 
I then asked around, got the number of a local theatrical agent, and voila! Chris the club singer was born. <laughs> I contacted the camp and said thanks very much, but I won't be coming back. I rented a house from Hartlepool Borough Council, and that was the start of it all. Question 3. Tell me about your last gig or run of gigs. Well, I've had five this week, but uh, none of them are really worth talking about. Uh, Tuesday was a holiday, not a holiday camp, a hotel up in Whip, uh, down in Whitby. That was for the Shearings Holiday Group, so it wasn't a particularly dynamic night, but it was a solid one. Uh, on Thursday, I was working at the Peter Lee Labour Club downstairs in the lounge. Pretty rough and ready, but again, a pleasant enough gig. Friday, I was off, as it was a birthday celebration. Saturday, I was working in a pub in Shopwell. That was very, very rough. They weren't particularly responsive, but it was a good fee, and so I kept my head down and just slogged through it. That's something you have to do occasionally when you're singing. Sunday, I did a doubler. That was two gigs in one day. I was working a pub stroke club on the afternoon, which was very busy. These days, I find that people tend to go out on a Sunday afternoon and then leave early so they could sleep off a hangover and go to work, I assume. Sunday night, I was working at North Biddick Club and I was on with a duo. So it was a nice double bill for the audience. They were a typical club audience saying that they were fine and uh, we both were received as well as I would hope. So that was my weekend. Tell me about the best or most notable gig you've done. For my solo show, I was once asked to do a quote-unquote garden party at Thirsk Manor, which turned out to be a huge outdoor event with about 3,000 people there. And that was quite a nice experience. It was a funny way I got that gig. I got a phone call off some crazy-sounding woman who said, I've been given your number off... Uh, name redacted, another act, and uh, they said that you were absolutely brilliant, and unfortunately that, that they couldn't do it themselves, but that you would be up for it. And I was, well, I was, I was like, yes, of course, I'm happy to do the gig, what's the fee? And then I was told a massively inflated fee, which I wasn't expecting, which I was happy to take. And then they said, uh, you won't require any equipment, as I've put on a little um, stage for you all to work on. Very cool, I thought. I arrived at Thirsk Manor to be greeted with a gigantic festival-style stage with dedicated sound engineers who, it turned out, normally go on tour with Echo and the Bunnymen, but this time we're doing a little run for this crazy woman at Thirsk. So I was the solo act, a warm-up act for the Bootleg Beatles, and in typical Chris Atkins style, I embarrassed myself in front of the other act by uh, saying, well, I complimented the the band on how well they kept up their Liverpoolian accent when they weren't on stage to be told that they were actually from Liverpool. Another gig that sticks in my memory was uh, when I was working in my originals band, uh, Spooky Jefferson's Ideal Lunchbox, if you want to look us up on YouTube or whatever, and uh, we were working the Lindisfarne Festival. That was very good fun. It's a nice feeling when you go on stage and perform material you've written with other people and 
the audience receive it so well, even though they're not familiar with it. So, moving on, question five. The worst gig you've done. And there's quite a lot of these. I, I do sound quite negative. I, I'm not a, a terrible act, I should point out. I just, uh, I find that a lot of venues these days don't quite understand about live entertainment. And I completely get that. If you're in your local pub and suddenly somebody walks in and starts setting up noisy sound equipment and you want a quiet gig, I quite understand why people aren't keen on that. But anyway, I digress. Possibly the worst one I've done for was uh, the worst feeling was when I did a hotel uh, that had booked the 80s tribute show for a couple of works Christmas parties. What normally happens in this situation is a hotel will book me run the night and then they will have quite a few different work events happening in the same venue so several different companies will have their worst christmas party at the hotel and this was the 80s themed night unfortunately all but one of the companies for this night cancelled at the last minute and i was left with 30 people who it turned out not only weren't very keen on 80s music but hadn't been informed it was an 80s tribute night at all this caused a bit of bad feeling. Uh, I was given a little bit of grief by the managing director of the company, some woman, and uh, who then complained to the hotel about my act, saying that she didn't like 80s music, and the hotel argued about the fee. I did have to explain to them that I was booked in good faith. They asked for the 80s show. The contract said 80s show on it, so I was prepared to do the 80s show. I hadn't brought any of my gear for the other show. This uh, caused a little bit of a, an argument, and I nearly had to get equity involved, but uh, as it turned out, the venue did pay, albeit with some reluctance. But, uh, yeah, I think that was the worst one I've ever had to go through. Question six. If you could meet any musician or group, living or dead, who would you most like to hang out with? Well, I would like to meet David Bowie. Um... Bo's been a hero of mine since I was very, very young. Uh, he was my brother's favourite act as well. And as I was growing up, me and my brother would uh, listen to the latest LPs that Bo would bring out. Obviously, this is in the 80s. I'm dating myself quite a bit here. Uh, unfortunately, he's passed away. So, you know, it's not like that I will meet him in person. So it'd be lovely to be able to meet him that way. Uh, I'd like to meet Morrissey as well, although I, I kind of get the impression that I don't think he's a particularly great person to meet in person. And uh, I do love the music, though. And also, I wouldn't mind meeting Ian Curtis, even though he's passed away as well, just to find out where he got those lyrics from when he was in Joy Division. Question 7. If you were abducted by aliens and the only way you could avoid being painfully probed was to perform your best song, what would that song be? And if you didn't like the first one, what would be your second choice? Um, I think I'd do a good job of Vienna by Ultravox. It's a big old song, and I think the aliens would enjoy some of the synth work. Failing that, I'd do Call Me Al by Paul Simon, because everybody loves Paul Simon. Well, except Art Garfunkel, I suppose. Best versus worst dressing rooms. 
The best dressing rooms are obviously in hotels where they give you a full room for the night. You can have a shower or a cup of tea and maybe even watch a bit of telly before you go on. The uh, worst dressing rooms I've come across are venues that just don't have them. There's quite a lot of venues where you walk in and they don't have changing facilities. In a situation like that, you generally go smart casual, so you're prepared, or you take gear that you can put on over what you, you your work clothes. So if I were to turn up in smart jeans, I would take a pair of smart jeans and a t-shirt. I would take a replacement pair of shoes and perhaps a shirt that would go over the t-shirt, and then I could get changed in the car or in the venue. Just trying to be, you know, flexible. Strangest song ever requested. Well, this this happened quite recently, actually. Uh, to put this into context, I'll do a quick description of myself. I'm six foot tall, exactly, uh, about 20 stone. I have a shaved head, generally, and I'm very well built. With this in mind, I was doing a pretty rough pub on an afternoon. I walked in and the jukebox was playing stuff like the Sex Pistols and the Specials. It's stuff I actually quite like, but uh, I digress. So I took a look at the audience and decided I was going to do quite a lot of the Scar and New Wave and the punky stuff for them, which was being really well received. While I was on stage, a gentleman, and I'm being kind here when I say gentleman, wanders over, a bit worse for wear, very, very big lad, scary, and I thought, I'm in trouble here. He wandered over and he asked if I would sing Orinoco Flow by Enya for him. I feel like at this point I should point out I don't do Orinoco Flow. Question 10. The strangest thing ever said to you while on stage or at a venue? So this happened a good few years ago. Uh, I had slightly longer hair at that point. Well, I'd let my hair grow out a bit. My agent sends posters out to venues and the picture I use for my publicity at the moment has my head shaved as I took the photo just after I'd done a scar show. So this apparently really confused one audience member who kept asking me if I had hair transplants or if I was wearing a wig or what. I had to reply that it's my own hair but the guy could not comprehend what was going on. He did not believe that on the poster I had no hair, but in person I had hair. So I had, I had to really walk away from that one because if, if that guy didn't understand how hair actually worked, I couldn't really help him. Question 11. Any funny stories you'd like to share? Well, working in the clubs, there's always funny stories, but there are a couple that sort of stick in my mind here. Uh, the first time, like the first one, was a compare at a venue who couldn't figure out how to pronounce my second name. My full name is Chris Atkins, like the diet. It's not massively complicated, but this guy just could not get it. He asked me if I was absolutely sure that that was how my name was pronounced. You know, like if I didn't know how to pronounce my own name. In the end, I was starting to get a little bit sh impatient with him, I should say, and said, look, it's not hard to pronounce my name. Just print, write it down and pronounce it phonetically. All right, he said. So as I go to go on the stage, the compere said, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris phonetically. Right. Uh, then secondly, I was at a venue, uh, hold, uh, not holiday camp, a uh, working men's club, 
and when I went to go into the dressing room to get changed, the bulb had gone. It had just burnt out. I asked a committee man if I could have a replacement bulb or what what was I supposed to do because I couldn't see it to get changed. Did he want me not to bother get changed or, or what? And uh, the guy seemed absolutely appalled that I wanted a replacement bulb because, I quote, they cost money, you know. Well, I said, look, I, I can't get I can't get changed if I can't see. I can't go in the dressing room and get changed if I can't see. So is anywhere else to get changed, like the committee room or anything? So the committee man then said, I've got an idea. So he went into the ladies' toilets, unscrewed the bulb, handed it to me and said, they'll just have to piss in the dark. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed uh, the first podcast, The Secrets of the Dressing Cupboard. As we move on with this series, I will be interviewing some other acts. There are some fantastic acts, I happen to know, who have amazing stories and interesting and varied careers. For myself, Chris Atkins, I'd like to wish you a very good day, good morning, good night, or whatever. Thank you, and goodbye.